tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. It's just one of those things managed to wipe out my entire crew in less than 24 hours. And if the colonists have found that ship, then there's no telling how many of them have been exposed. Do you understand? I ain't much for begging. Nobody ever gave me nothing. So I say, fuck that thing. Let's fight it. Hey everybody, happy Alien Day. You're listening to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, and today we are delighted to have a very special guest, Gabriel Hardman, the creator, the creative force behind uh, Aliens Dust to Dust, which just released and uh, is this year's big new Alien comic miniseries from Dark Horse. Uh, we've A number of us have been reading this first issue and we're blown away by it. So Gabriel, thank you so much for making the time to be on. Oh no, thank you. So uh, before we talk about this um, comic, uh, I want to go a little bit into your background because uh, I think people listening to this might know you from a few different contexts. You worked on Dark Horse stuff like Star Wars Legacy before. You've done Planet of the Apes things. You've worked with Marvel on like Hulk. Um, and you also have your own properties like Kinski, which I, I want to make sure we talk about at the end because I think that's really interesting. But you also have a very prolific background as a film artist and a storyboard artist. So can you give us a little bit of an idea of how you got into all this and what your actual career, what the kind of trajectory of your career has been? Well, I mean, it's uh, the trajectory has sort of been... Uh, kind of moving through comics and films for the whole time in one way or another. But uh, I actually started in comics in uh, when I was 18, 19 years old. Uh, I drew a book for Marvel. I, uh, this was like in the mid-90s. When you were and, 18 or 19, yeah, you drew something for yeah. Marvel? Yeah, yeah. Oh well, it's, I mean, I drew it under another name. Most people know about this by now, but it's, uh, but I also still half the time pretend like it wasn't me. How did you even get to a place when you were 18 or 19 where you were able to draw at a level of proficiency that Marvel would take a serious look at you? How did well, you start doing that? I don't, well, they published a lot of books back then and the bar was pretty low. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, st- I was, um, my uh, my mother's a fine artist. I always I was studying art in one way or another all the time. Uh, I uh, and uh, I actually, you know, was you know some you know grossly overambitious kid. And I started sending uh, like sequential samples to comic companies when I was fourteen, and oh, like, like in the mail. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, in the mail. Wow. And uh, and then uh, like and I basically just kept doing that until uh until i got a job uh in you know when i was i was still 18 you know i was 18 when i got the job uh i had um moved to new york i, I went to art school for one semester and at school of visual arts and then ran out of money and uh i didn't come from much money i like i said my mother was a fine artist <laughs> right yeah yeah we, we've, uh, all been we've all been uh, there yeah and uh, I, um, but I had, uh, like, I kept pursuing the comics thing the whole time. And, uh, and I got a, a little internship uh, with Dick Giordano at DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, when he was retiring, he kind of 
mentored some people and uh, um, which got me like one tiny little job there. And then uh, and then I but they were not particularly interested. Nobody editors at DC were not that interested in giving me anything else. And I went to a con at, uh, uh, in New York and met up with a writer there, Len Kaminsky, who was writing a, 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 the Iron Man books at the time. And he was like, hey, this stuff is great. Go uh, go see my editor uh and uh on monday and i went up to marvel showed them my uh my stuff and they gave me uh, a war machine book that oh my god I drew. that's amazing yeah what a cool for, start. Like, so, you know, so this was this was this did this predate the uh like the independent publisher movement kind of the, the, you know i associate it was with, at like, the same time i mean the okay. so like uh, early 90s kind of yeah. era. well it was 94 uh, okay. so like um that was right after the image people had broken away right the, the great, and, uh, exodus yeah yeah and so uh you know and there were norm and it was during the kind of publishing bubble so you know when i say the, the bar was low it was i mean there were a lot of books being published like uh and so um you know the speculator boom and mm-hmm. uh you know, which was quickly followed by the speculator bust <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> as, and, as, uh, as we've seen happen many times yeah yeah and so uh i i like you know i did uh, I, I drew comics for like about three years or so, and uh, but in the meantime, it had moved from New York to Los Angeles, and you know had intended to also produce, pr- pursue movie stuff uh, because I've always been a big film fan. And I've always been interested in that, and right. I uh, ended up um, uh, just kind of luckily, uh, right as the market com- in comics completely fell apart. The uh, I, I ended up getting uh, some work as a storyboard artist. Uh, and that was I mean, and I just and, and I really sort of lucked into it. I mean, I had the ability, you know, I had the, the knowledge and ability to, to kind of jump on the opportunity when I had it. But um, but it was also sort of dumb luck. So it was uh, I mean, it was weird. It was a weird time because everybody that I knew in comics was struggling and and it was you know it was a terrible time for them and then right, all of a sudden right. i was actually making the first decent money in my life you know? right right in hollywood no less yeah so uh you know and the first movie i boarded was uh austin powers the first oh austin my powers, god that's so funny which was a small non-union movie to start it went union when they started shooting but like so i was able to work on it um in the pre-production and then got grandfathered into the union and then you uh, got a union yeah yeah, which was like also dumb luck. I mean, people go for ten years trying to do that, and uh, and so well, part of me I was feels able... like there's there's dumb luck, and then there's also the ability to capitalize on opportunity. You know, and it's it seems yeah, like it seems like you know, it seems like, like you didn't let these opportunities pass you by. You know, yeah, yeah, both. So I mean, like I then I was able to work on any movie because I was in the union, right? And uh, and then you know my uh, and it went pretty well, and I and I also knew a lot. I was you know I had. I was a huge film nerd. I had studied filmmaking just on my own. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I was thrown into uh, situations where I have to pretend like I know what I'm talking about, you know, I was able to at least bluff my way through it. Right. And uh, even when I didn't know exactly what was going on. But, you know, I mean, I, it's it's important to uh, as, as long as you don't, you know, you aren't letting anybody down. It's important to go into these things and just pretend like you know what you're doing. (laughs) Fake it till you make it, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I I have a number of of dumb questions that I'll get to because I've always been a big fan of visual art, but I've never been very good at it. So I (laughs) I just have a lot lot that I'm curious about. Something I've always wondered about with storyboard art, I should mention for, for our listeners, you've storyboarded 
some of like the the really great tentpole movies of our time, like Christopher Nolan film, like very very big movies. Um, so you're kind of an expert on this, and I'm curious, how quickly do you have to iterate these things? And and when you when you get so you get a script, right? And then do you work one on one with the director and just sort of rapidly iterate things, and they tell you how to frame it, or like how does that work? Well, it could work any kind of way, but um, it, it really depends on the director and uh, depends on their uh, level of visual proficiency, <laughs> their okay. their ability, they, how much they know uh, what they want. And, uh, you know, there's a like a sort of ideal version of it would be that uh, that the director has a shot list and mm-hmm. uh, and you go through that shot list and he says he or she says that there's uh, um you know, uh, I want a shot of the car doing this and it's, and then a 50, 50 of these people. And, you know, like, and just, you know, gives you, uh, gives you the shots. You go, you draw it, you, you bring it back for notes. But, but, but it could I be something as specific that. as like, as like, you know, like a, a low angle shot, you know, fading to a close up on the face and like, like they'll sometimes give you very specific ideas of what the shot's going to look like. And then you kind of draw it. Yeah, that hasn't happened for 15 years. So, oh, really? Uh, like, I, like I, I, I mean, I think the last time somebody gave me a super specific shot list was, um, I mean, I don't know. No, uh, like, I mean, there's a couple of people like Barry Sonnenfeld or uh, I worked with this guy, Brad Silverling, uh, on uh, that Lemony Snicket movie years ago that uh, he had a very specific shot list. But like, for the most part, what I'm like what I'm there to do and what's expected of me is to go in and, uh, you know, and I'll talk with the director and I'll get big, broad ideas about what they want. But, um, uh, but like mostly I'll go away and, uh, and do a version of it myself and pitch that to the director. And, you know, then they'll make some notes on that. Okay. And, okay. And that, I mean, for the most part, uh, you kind of hire me to be the guy to do that, you know, okay. to, uh, to like, uh, to be able to, kind of create a scene and uh and pitch that to the director and and uh and bring into it what they're talking about tonally but uh and you know there certainly are a specific shots that they ask for but mm-hmm. it's it's not you know it really isn't about sitting down there and, and going okay you know this is exactly the tiny little you know adjustment on the shot or whatever i mean it, right, it's it's right. and then um and then previs is also an aspect of this now where mm-hmm. it's, um, uh, it's like a render, know. right? Well, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, uh, they're sort of, um, you know, video game cutscenes level, uh, animatics. So, uh, right. uh, and like I, uh, and in, you know, in the past I've also kind of supervised those and, and, and sort of directed the animatics as well. Although I don't do that as much anymore because it's kind of a middle management job and right. <laughs> it's, and I, I'd rather spend a good portion of my time doing comics. So, so, so that's that's where your heart still really lies. So, you, you got into film and comics kind of at the same time in childhood, more or less concurrently. Uh, yeah, I mean, although films were around before comics, I mean, I, I started reading comics when I was nine, ten. Um, movies have been a huge thing forever, right? Uh, and, um, but you know, I like. More than anything, it's not just about being a fan of stuff. It's about like 
seeing the craft and seeing ways to tell stories right, right. you're interested in, in that craft. Which, which, which is why I'm not a comic artist because, you know, I, I appreciate the hell of it, but um, you don't want to see my artwork. It's not too great. <laughs> so it, what, what was, there, was there like an early movie that had a tremendous visual impression on you as a kid that you think has rubbed off in your art since? Yeah, super obscure movie called Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of it. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, but I mean, but there were a lot, though. You know, I mean, certainly Star Wars came out when I was three, and I have the dimmest memories of seeing it in the theater. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, I, um, uh, in a Quonset hut turned movie theater in, uh, um, you know, uh, Sonoma County in the Northern California. Oh, but uh, I, um, I like, I mean, there, there have been enormous amounts. I mean, I, the whole visual thing is, is uh, a little bit distracting in all this because yeah, it's all visual and it is about visual storytelling, but it, uh, but it is, but it's about storytelling, you know? So like right, the thing right. that, that is the most important to me in all of this is the storytelling, not like the pretty pictures or, or, you know, just the visuals on their own, you know, like right. if they're not serving the story, it's not, that's, that's not really what I do. Right. So, so I, I should, I should uh, point out again that you also wrote Dust to Dust and you've written a ton of original content. H how did you transition into writing original stuff? I, uh, in comics, I was, so, you know, in the, in the scheme of, uh, my, uh, career story there, I, you know, I was, I was working on films for a long time and at a certain point I got, uh, I got kind of burnt out from just working on movies all the time, stories that I wasn't necessarily interested in. Uh, but, you know, they were my job. And, I, I'm, you know, I mean, storyboards are kind of my day job. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I wanted to, um, uh, you know, I, I want to make films as well, but I wanted to, uh, to have that cost an enormous amount of money and it takes forever. And like, it's all about you know, getting people to commit to things and whatever. And in comics, I can just sit down at a table and do the whole thing. Right. right, right so right. like it can just get done because I get it done. Right. And, uh, the, and so I ended up, uh, my wife and I, uh, collaborated on a, a graphic novel called heathen town, uh, several years ago. And, uh, it was published by, uh, uh, shadow line at image. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I like, and then started getting offers to draw books for Marvel. And uh, and I did some of that stuff. And it was uh, and I, I had fun working with uh, Jeff Parker, uh, the writer Jeff Parker on uh, Agents of Atlas and uh, and Hulk. And that but then it it just got kind of unsatisfying for me to just be drawing the book. It's just not creatively engaging enough. And plus, and, you were uh, always sort of focused on the storytelling anyway. And like you said, like that was the art was in the service of the narrative, you know, right. But they're both the same thing, though. Here's the thing. Hmm. The art and writing are both the storytelling. Right. And so the right. story is being told all the time. Right. Every bit of it is telling the story. So uh, so the, the writing isn't telling the story. And then the art is illustrating that it's that they're both telling the story all the time. Right. So uh, so like in order to be uh fully engaged in telling the story it's about writing and drawing because you have all the powers of of telling that story if you if you write a script and you turn it over to another artist it's going to be a different story than what it would be if i wrote and drew the thing right which, which so, is which is probably also kind of an interesting experience i would imagine to see what somebody else brings to it is it yeah not? yeah and i and i've written things for other other artists as well and it's right uh, um, and you know, and I do my best to keep my hands off it because it's, you know, <laughs> right, it, right. It's, it's hard to, you know, uh, 
to be able to do something yourself and then uh, and then look at what somebody else does with it. Although it's also great because they bring other things that you, you know, it, the book does end up being a different book and that's usually a positive. You know, it's just that uh, like, I mean, I think that for me, I do want to be able to, I mean, like with, if you're writing a novel, you are, you know, the words are, you know, you have access to, you know, all the words and you can use those in order to craft the story and express everything about what, you know, what you're trying to say. Right. right, right. And so, I mean, if you're making a comic and you write it and you draw it, then you're uh, under the under you have all of, you know, uh you have everything storytelling wise to tell the story you want, right? You right, have, you story. know, yeah. and I, and I want that. I like that. I mean, I collaborate with my wife, Karina writing, uh, several other projects, but, uh, that's also, you know, we I mean, we're obviously very close. We're in the same house. <laughs> you guys know each other pretty you know, well. Yeah. And, our, and we have similar sensibilities, although when we write stuff together, it's different than when I write stuff on my own or when she writes mm. stuff on it. You know? That's so interesting. Uh, well, well, this kind of segues into the next. I, w- I want to talk about Dust to Dust, obviously, but just before we get into that, I have some more dumb questions for you about how comics are actually just made. So, I'm, so, you, so for Dust to Dust, you were approached, I would imagine, by Dark Horse for this like how did that how did the deal start was it did they come to you uh i had worked with randy stradley the editor uh when karina and i did uh star wars legacy book for him uh, a couple years ago and And you you were on that title for a while right you did uh yeah i mean it was three arcs of it was around 18 issues i think yeah because that was how i first uh, came across your work actually i remember that was that was awesome yeah yeah it was a lot of fun i really liked doing that book uh and um and it was, you know, and they, they just let us tell the story that we were interested in telling. And, you know, that was great. It was fun to do a book in the Star Wars world. And uh, and it was also fun to do a book that wasn't deeply involved in the continuity of everything else in the at that time, you know, that part of the Star Wars universe because it right. was uh, because you're able to just tell a story. But, <laughs> Which is nice. Yeah. But uh, the so when um, when. I th- seriously, the only way this happened was that I, we, you know, I'd worked on several, I'd ended up working on several other, uh, licensed properties and, mm-hmm. uh, and said on Twitter that the only one that I would still like to do is aliens. <laughs> so, oh, really? Because, because yeah. you're a fan of the, I, I read an interview that you did recently where you said you, uh, you saw, uh, aliens in theaters as a kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. I was 12. Yeah. Right. Like it was, uh, yeah, it was, and you know, as a 12 year old, it was seriously one of the most intense experiences I'd ever had, oh, you know, God, like no. seeing, and I hadn't seen the first movie yet. I right. just, uh, uh, like, so coming out of that, I just so vividly remember coming out of that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, like, and I went to see it with my cousin in Houston, Texas and like walking outside and being, and it was during the day and just being like, Oh my God, like that happened, you know, like realized world that it, the experience. Yeah. And you know, like, Cameron, yeah. uh, Jim Cameron is just so good at his ability to craft that stuff and like yeah. the rising intensity of it and all that. I'm just admire that so much. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, and you know, it's rare that you, that there's something that you love when you're 12, it still, you know, holds up for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I, um, and so, uh, yeah, I've always like, 
I mean, but really, honestly, though, particularly those first two movies, the Ridley Scott movie and the and the Cameron movie, are the things that I love about Alien. You know, okay, and so, so you so you already had a long relationship personally with with the with the property. So 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 they approached you to do this this book, the, and 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 they yeah, set it up as a miniseries. After I tweeted it the next day, Randy emailed me and said, "Hey, do you want to do an Aliens book?" And I was like, "Oh my okay. god." I, so I wish I wish it. I had your life where I could just say like I want to work on an aliens thing and then like the person who has the license for it is like hey let's do it you know like, that's that's amazing that's incredible um so, so what how how influenced if I don't know if you necessarily would know this but was this by the success of Dead Orbit last year the Stokow book because I, I I absolutely loved that miniseries and I feel like it was a really good direction for the aliens comics to go in. So I'm wondering like do you think that had an impact on their decision to go with another creator driven small arc? I imagine so. I love that book too. I mean like I uh and you know I I don't know honestly though. I mean yeah. it's a question for Randy. I I don't really have uh you know uh like it's just not part of the conversation, but like, right, at right, the same right, time, right. you know, uh, but it's like, be in I, that, the fact that that book came out made me feel better about doing the book, though. Right, because, right, because it's like, amazing. And there's something yeah. about the cohesiveness of that vision, and also because Stokoe's, his his art is just very distinctive, and his storytelling is, you know, very idiosyncratic, and um, it was just, it was so nice to have this very singular art-driven um, story, you know, that, that really felt like a, like, like I said, like a cohesive thing. And, and issue number one, which is all I've read, of course, of Dust to Dust, feels exactly like that to me. It feels like it is a very confident storyteller who knows how to tell a story with imagery and with words in a way that's very dark and very character-driven. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But before we do, I also want to know, so did you script it before you did the artwork? Did so, oh, like, yeah. You, you personally, so, so you script everything yeah, yeah. out. It's a, I mean, it's a freelance book, so I, ha, you know, I have to. I mean, the, uh, it's, there are other projects. I mean, I did a, um, I did a horror one shot that came out from Image, uh, mm-hmm. in, I don't know, a year or so ago, uh, and, uh, called The Belfry that was much more me just sitting down and outlining the thing and drawing it and, uh, and doing it very, quickly and intensely but that that was entirely for me i didn't even tell anyone it existed until mm. i was finished with it. and then uh, and then you know showed it to image and they were like yeah sure let's publish it right and, this is kind uh, of a different beast but this is yeah this is a freelance job so like yeah i wrote a full script and uh and like uh i you know and i i mean and you know in a professional sort of manner i mean i wrote it so that anybody could draw it you know i mean mm-hmm. like because you know, I wanted them to know what I was doing, you know, and what I was planning. So, right, uh, right. It, so you script uh, the whole thing out, and as you're writing it, how how clearly are you seeing what the visuals are going to look like for it? Because it's very distinct looking. The art in this is that something that forms as you're writing it, or is it something you kind of go into it with a vision of? I know exactly what it is. <laughs> you know, right, like right. I I can visualize the things you know very clearly. So like mm-hmm. I I don't even really do layouts in. You know, like I'm not even really doing super rough layouts to figure things out or anything like that. I can just kind of picture it, you know, and that's what I mean. I think that that's been valuable over the course of my career, just the ability to, you know, to imagine the visuals of something without actually having to figure them out right, on paper. Right. Well, and, and digital, sort of but, you know. related to that, you know, I'm looking at it right now. Something that I really admire about your work and, and also Stoko is uh is your um the way that you use the paneling to convey um like action and momentum in the passage of time and and is that something that like and again a dumb question from a neophyte but is that something that um 
you know, like, is, is there like a, a set art to doing that? Like, because I feel like, like I'm trying to find a specific. So for example, there's a whole page in here where everything is, is angled at maybe about, you know, negative eight degrees. So all the panels are kind of yeah. falling off the page. So something like that, is that something that you write into the script or is it something that as you're making it, like how, how does a decision like that get made? It's not written in the script, but it's, um, uh, but it's something that I'm thinking of while I'm, while I'm writing the script and the, uh, I just feel, and it is a lot about a kind of feel. I mean, it's a lot about something that you can't really articulate that well. It's, uh, if I, I think that if you're doing it right, you, uh, the thing feels right on the page to you and it feels like it's, it's, uh, it's expressing this emotion and you have certain tools in comics where, you know, that you can use in order to, to get those sort of ideas across. And you're, there's multiple things working where, you know, essentially comics are just static images on a page, you know, right. they're just static drawings. So you're trying to create a sense, you know, of movement. There is no movement, you know, they're just right. lines but, on But paper. you really start forgetting, like, like I'm looking at another page right now where you have all of these small images overlaid I'm like, there's basically a splash image up top, and then it's like these like sort of inlaid little squares of, of activity, like almost like, you know, like quick cuts and then shooting to the exterior. And it's funny that like when you read a digital, you know, I obviously do comicsology stuff, you know, and when you read mm-hmm. a digital comic that sort of does that for you, it doesn't add anything to the experience of reading the comic book if it's laid out properly, just like, like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like- I don't. That guided view type stuff for is is not valuable as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you know, like I mean, it, like you could certainly make a a comic specifically for that and have it be have it make sense and have mm-hmm. it be good. But mostly, it's it's a half measure that isn't really worth it. I mean, you don't really need that. I mean, the whole point is that you're designing the page to work that way, and you're designing the uh, like you know the 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 unit of the panel has to work with the unit of the whole page you know and right, so right, and right, right. they have to, they just have to go together and all that stuff has to be working at the same time so right. i mean all those are concerns and and thoughts you have when you're going into designing it but you know it's and it's doing it and it is doing everything all at the same time i mean it because uh you know action is character and you know the things people do are are what define them in, in a story and you're representing that through the visuals and if you can't convey that in the visuals and you can't convey the emotion of it in the visuals then you're not telling the story right i uh, I, I wish we could talk about this so much longer because i have like hundreds of thousands of other questions that are coming up <laughs> in the course of this because it's so, it's so cool to finally have I, i've i've wanted to talk to uh, comics artists in the past on the show and um, it's just never worked out so you're actually the first one on here and oh, when cool. i mentioned to my friends that i was going to be speaking to you i got so many texts from people be like ask how he does this and ask how he does that you know <laughs> because i think there's a lot of it for something that we've all grown up with um you know because because when i got into comics it was it was right around the time that you were starting working in them so you know the first things i was obviously reading all the spider-man titles and x-men yeah. and marvel stuff but also you know top cow came out and i and then sure. idw later was a huge thing you know like temple smith's art was a big influence influence on mm-hmm. me i feel like um i just completely uh it's just so mysterious and so uh ineffably beautiful so i just want to say just uh you know briefly that uh, i really respect that and i think it's Super cool. We got to move on, though, to Dust to Dust specifically because this is what um, is sort of a big part of Alien Day this year for people, and it's something that um, we've been looking forward to for a long time. There's actually an episode of our show, I think it's episode 76, that we did shortly after this was announced last year, and it was announced, I think, the same week 
that well because so the comic was announced also the first uh, variant cover was was displayed which i think is also really really cool and i want to yeah. ask you about that in a minute and then also uh the development of this new game was was put out and it was all within like four days and so we have an episode called nerdgasm that's just basically <laughs> our whole roundtable panel pretty much getting together and just being so excited about all this great news and i have to say like it feels like it's been it's been a long wait and now that it's finally here it's a it's a big payoff so i want to talk a little bit about the story and a little bit about the visual approach to it and uh I, without giving too much away the story focuses on, at least this first issue focuses on, a young boy named Maxim. Can you tell us a little bit about him and about why you chose to have a child at the forefront? Well, I mean, I I think that I've, I've been interested in the idea of telling a story about a kid, about, you know, uh, you know like a 12-year-old kid, not in, in a lot of ways because they don't have agency right they they're they're in a very a, a weirdly vulnerable position in the world where they have uh you know you can do some stuff when you're 12 but for the most part you're not you're not able to like you know you, your decisions are still being made for you by other people so right, like right. Even, when, even though you are somewhat self-sufficient you're yeah, not you're, you're in a position you are to, to exercise that right right and so um i think that like that's a particularly uh, you know, scary place to be, you know, and, yeah. and like the idea of being in the middle of this sort of, uh, invasion of, uh, of, of the place that you live and, uh, is, is a way of kind of externalizing those feelings, you know? Mm. And so, uh, like having, uh, being able to, uh, you know, to tell a story in the, the aliens world, which is, I mean, what's so great about it is that the the xenomorphs are like, you know, are, are just the greatest sort of uh, express like visual and uh, kind of character expression of like fear and terror. And they have no eyes and they're uh, they're this sort of empty, you know, machine that goes around, uh, you know, like mindlessly killing everybody. Right. And right. like the fact. I, I feel like it's really important not to compromise that and the, and it's really important to make sure that that is like the core thing that holds everything up. But within that, you can tell almost any kind of story, but you know, especially if it's a scary story, you know, <laughs> right, yeah, and, there's not, uh, not so many romantic comedies in the alien yeah, universe. Well, but, look, I don't know. We'll see. But know? there is that static <laughs> element of this, this, this sort of uh, omnipresent ultimate fear you know that that like yeah that, no matter what story you tell and also because this character the, you know the, the xenomorph has been around for so long and it's so well represented in popular culture there's kind of a shorthand to it like people you know like it's it's i would imagine probably you know 60 or 70 percent of the developed world would would be able to identify at least that the alien is a monster from you know films and so like they've yeah. kind of become a shorthand for for a nameless faceless terror that um we're always sort of at the at the mercy of you know Well, it's also, though, I mean, it, it was the the way that it was executed and the concept of it was so simple, even in 1979, right. that it uh, that I mean, it's a sort of liberating simplicity. You know, it's not it's not simple like it's stupid. It's simple like it's, you know, epic and great. Well, it's, so, it's simple like I, it's pure. It's like a haiku. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. So, like, I think that 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 gives you the ability to tell, uh, you know, different kinds of stories around it as long as you're still 
uh, using this thing. I mean, like you don't go into it having to set up an enormous amount of stuff about some alien race that's come to, you know, uh, right. you can, you know, you could dive in and do what I'm doing, which is, uh, is cutting past all of the exposition and just going directly into something where it's a sort of mainlining the fear and terror. Oh, of I love that approach. In this world, right? It, it is, it is so cool because it's like every page that you turn, it's like, oh, Fuck! Like they're oh my god, this is getting worse. This is and then and then and then you end it with a a very a very particular sentence of the tribal. Uh, it ends with an ellipsis and uh, and it and it hints at things getting even worse to come. So it, yeah, I I love that sense of kind of immediate momentum. Um, I think really really plays well. I there's a lot of uh, you got to do quite a lot of original design work on this. So it takes place on uh, a colony that we haven't seen before in, in alien fiction. Correct. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you got to base, did you were you able to just sort of design it from the ground up, all the different you know production design aspects of it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's all stuff that I'm I'm certainly you know uh, taking influences from uh, all the people who you know. Uh, I mean, the obviously you know Giger did the initial alien designs, but you know people like Ron Cobb and you know other people who had worked on those first two movies who'd kind of had and you know Sid Mead. Uh, mm-hmm. had, you know, influences on the look of the world of it. Well, uh, the, and those were the two didn't really was, have anything to do with, you know. But, I was yeah. hoping you would say Ron Cobb and Sidney because I, I definitely, but you're not, it's not at all like you're copying them, but I, I can see like in the interface design on the computers in the background and, and especially in the vehicle design, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of influence there. And, and it, so it feels very cohesive, but what's really yeah. exciting about it and part of why I've, I've reread it so many times is that there's a lot of new things to look for. Um, that you know we haven't really seen before in the ways that the buildings are laid out and in the ways that the you know the vehicles operate and uh, I think it's really cool and that brings me to my next question which is the xenomorph itself uh, you've you've done some really interesting things with the morphology of it that um, I'm I'm sort of I you know want to let you talk about but I'm I'm curious how did you approach redrawing this character that like I said is so ubiquitous um, what were your initial thoughts on it like what were you trying to bring out. And what were some decisions that you've made about what to deviate from people's expectations? What was your kind of approach to drawing the, the alien? My main concern with it was that, well, I was told that it can't be the big chap guy. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, and but that's fine. But uh, I the my main concern over anything else was that they feel like they have weight and they feel like mm-hmm. they're in the world. Right. Can, can, can I ask who 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 said to not do Big Chap? Like where, where did that come from? Fox. Yeah. Okay. Fox. Okay. Did I they think they just, like say, a... they, they just want well, it. They just want to save it for. I don't okay. Know, right. Right. And also because, because it, it, it is it is aliens dust to dust. So it is it is it yeah. is the the camera the Cameron. Yeah, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that's why or not. I, honestly, I don't know, and I didn't really ask. I'm just like, oh, you know, don't use this one. Use any of the warrior type. Or whatever. Okay, like, okay. 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 Sure. okay. So, so, so not to derail you. So you said that you wanted to give them weight and you wanted to convey, uh, what else were you saying? Um, just a sense that they are in this world. Like I, you know, I think that there is, you know, more recent, uh, CG driven, you know, representations we've seen of them are maybe not as effective for yeah. me. And, you know, uh, and obviously this is a comic it's drawn no matter what but like i but and but and it's always important for me that that things have weight and feel like they you know are existing inside the world i'm creating but uh but i think that that sense that you know maybe it's a man in a suit 
is important to me for uh, for getting it's, it's part of what makes them scary. Right. That you can look at it and you can recognize physics at work and you can be like, yeah. oh, this this thing probably weighs more than a typical human does, you know, and it's taller than a human. That's actually something that I, I noticed right away was how tall they were, um, which I, I really love because in, in Aliens, you know, I, I mean, at this the second film, I, I I obviously love it more than, you know, almost anything in, in, you know, my artistic life. But I do feel like there's a sense of disposability to the to the xenomorph in that because there's. Yeah. There's so many, and because they're short, like, you know, a lot of them, you know, are played by stunt people or, right, or you know, played right. by Tom Woodruff Jr., who was actually just on the show. Um, oh, was he? It, I worked yeah. with him a long time ago on a show. Oh, really? On the, uh, on the X-Files movie. Uh, he yeah. played, there was an alien in that movie, which you basically didn't see uh, in, in the final film, but uh, uh, he but he played that in it. Yeah. Oh, that's so, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I, but I actually, so my co-host who lives in Maybe it was Boston, Alec, maybe it's the other guy. I can't remember, sorry. Well, he was, he was on the show too, so it might, might yeah. have been. <laughs> so it works either way. Go but, ahead. Uh, Sorry, but uh, my co-host is in, uh, in is in Los Angeles, and so he's been to ADI a couple of times and met the guys. and And he actually told me that uh, Tom Woodruff is actually really tall, which I, for yeah. some reason, you know, wouldn't have expected because. Uh, but I guess it's just because you know, Bodalahi Badejo from the first film was was so colossally huge that you know it makes Tom Woodruff Jr. look short in comparison. But anyway, all this is to say that um, in Aliens, there's a sense of um, you know, like these things aren't quite as imposing or they're quite not quite as dangerous also because it's, you know, colonial Marines with incredible amounts of firepower going against them. But um, I feel a, a really great sense of scale in Dust to Dust. So it's it's interesting to hear that you were thinking of that. Well, but that's the thing. Think about it. It's a 12 year old kid. Right. Right. The, the perspective that they have on the world is going to be about scale. You know, I mean, right. the, the, the the kid is a bit shorter than everybody else. You know, and so right. and it plays into thematically into things that it would feel things would feel imposing. That makes a lot of sense. Um, one other morphological question I have for you is I noticed there's a, the tails are really prominent in this. I don't know if that was some kind of a conscious decision that you made, but um, I love it. <laughs> was, was that something you thought about? It's something. Well, it's something that you think about in the design of stuff and the fact that it's a clear signifier you know i mean nobody else has a tail <laughs> you know right, like you right. can sh- it's a it's more uh i mean otherwise i mean there's the shape of the head obviously the shape of you know the big phallic shape of the head right, right. uh and the um but like the uh otherwise you could look at a at a profile of you know like a silhouette and it and it you know maybe it could be a person you know, except mm-hmm. for that tail. Right, right, right. Well, and, and I just, I think that you really uh, do justice to that because the tail is really well articulated and it seems longer than usual. And uh, it's awesome. So I don't want to give too much more away about Dust to Dust because um, I want to save it for people. Um, we're going to get to a couple of listener questions before we wrap up. But before we do that, I just had a couple of general sort of industry questions for you. Um, you know, things are really, it, it seems from an outsider's perspective, an avid outsider's perspective, that things are really changing in the industry with obviously the, you know, the cinematic universes, which are just responsible for, I don't it feels like 95% of film content coming out right now. Yeah. And this move to, you know, digital media and um, to motion comics and all these things. It seems like uh, it's a really kind of wild west time in a lot of ways for comics, but it's also a time when they're more mainstream than they've ever been before. And, and I'm wondering, as somebody who's been in the industry for quite a while now, what are your thoughts on that? What, what do you see changing? Where do you see things going?
I mean, I think that they're, I mean, to a degree, comics are more mainstream, but the, uh, they're also, it's more that the kind of content that's in certain comics is more mainstream. Like that, the, uh, well, superheroes, that, that the, that superheroes kind of exist more in those movies than they do in comics now. Like that's, that's more their natural place uh, than comics in a certain way. It's funny because when um, you go to a comic shop, you're right. Like almost all of the titles are non-superhero. Like they're like quirky, you know, idiosyncratic. Yeah, I mean, there's still tons. I mean, superheroes still dominate the comics market, but the but the uh, but like the films are what I mean. If you if people think of these characters, they think of them from the films. The vast majority of people who are exposed to these characters are exposed to films, not comics, right? So, like I, I if so for me, it's it's kind of important to, to separate like the content of things from the form and like the form of comics and the form of movies are the things that I'm interested in. And if the, um, uh, not that my interests have anything to do with the state of, you know, but like the, um, so like it's, it seems like comics are this big dominating thing, but really it's these movies and the, and the movies doing a kind of content that comics used to do. You know, mm. right? Does that make yeah. sense? That makes sense. That does like, make so, sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, so I mean, and comics still do that kind of content, but like movies are the ones that are movie, it, movies are capitalizing on it now. And so, like, I mean, people are people know who Captain America is. They think of Chris Evans. They think of the uh, you know they right. think of these these movies that they've seen. And you know, Captain America isn't necessarily a, a comic character anymore. It's a character from these movies for the vast majority of people. It's almost like like the world of comics has externalized into this sort of this sort of the, the new mythopoetic universe of popular culture, you know, like that we have these characters that. Um... There's a lot of big words there, Patrick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, no, um, but, but, right? Like it's, it's but, sort of like it's sort of like people now. You're right. Like people who seven years ago I could have mentioned Black Widow to, and they would have been like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Now people know who Black Widow is, and they know who played her. And they know how she fits into the MCU, and and something that to me I, I really notice is so I've always been a huge symbiote fan. Like I, I really love the Spider-Man comics, and I love Venom and uh-huh. Carnage. They're kind of like my they're my boys. And yeah. you know the new Venom trailer dropped last night, which was awesome. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I'm amazed at the amount of people who know exactly what that is, like the amount of comments and social shares. Whereas in right. my childhood, when I would bring you know Venom and Carnage up to people, they'd be like, "What, like, what are you talking about?" You know. Sure, sure. Yeah. And now even just casual friends of mine who have no you know high nerd credentials as it were like they they know exactly they like oh yeah tom hardy's gonna be venom it looks great you know i bet he's gonna somehow tie into the sony marvel crossover cinematic template and you know and they have all these like erudite things to say about it i'm like wow it's just become so much more mainstream yeah no absolutely i mean and it's although all of this is difficult for me to look at because i'm on the other side of all of it yeah my whole career has been uh, my whole storyboard career has kind of been over the course of the rise of superhero movies. I even worked on that yeah. Venom movie to a degree, um, ah. but uh, I'm not, I, can't, I can't talk about it. But oh, um, that's so cool. Go ahead. What? Well, I'm just saying that's that's really I, I, yeah. I won't I won't push you on that, but that's uh, that's good to know. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I had a big impact on the Venom movie. <laughs> like so it was basically uh, you're you're playing Eddie Brock and Tom Hardy is your stunt double is what you're, you're yes, trying to say. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, um, it's, you know, I it was like um uh I 
they were in Georgia. I was here. I did like five weeks of work on a sequence that they needed. It wasn't oh, okay. really like, you know, and then I went on to another movie. So it wasn't. It's just, it's, it, and of course they're in Georgia because like literally everything is filmed in Georgia now. Do you, I'm sure you noticed that. It's like. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Um, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those places right now at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, before we get to listener questions, one other thing I want to say is, uh, is I know you've done some, uh, some previous, uh, titles that you've worked on with your wife, for example, uh, in that have been very digitally focused and available through things like comiXology. And, uh, because I think you're going to get a lot of new fans of your work through this comics release and through, um, you know, kind of being spread around the alien fandom more um, Mm -hmm. broadly, uh, what do you want people to seek out? Like, what are some things that you think people might enjoy of your, of your work? I mean, I think that, you know, particularly when you get stuff through Comixology, uh, what I mentioned earlier, the Belfry uh, is is a, a one issue yeah, one shot awesome. uh, horror comic uh, that with creatures in it, and uh, you know, and very much it, it's a little, it's slightly more surreal, but very intense mm-hmm. and uh, um, and kind of explicit. <laughs> um, nice. But nice. Uh, the uh, uh, I, I think that. You know, but since that was a one shot and it's not collected anyplace else, the place that you can get it now is is digitally and uh, that. And also uh, that's one I did on my own. But uh, uh, but also um, Invisible Republic is a science fiction book that's kind of a big, sprawling sort of uh, political epic of a science fiction book that uh, um that about sort of the rise and fall of a dictator, but told through two different time perspectives and uh, following a journalist and following, uh, you know, the, the characters from uh, the, the dictator's past as he rises up. Uh, and uh, it's uh, we're halfway through that. It's uh, there are three trades worth of uh, uh, material. Out, wow, so, so like, there's quite a lot. Yeah, there's 15 issues of it out there. Wow. And, uh, and you're and working with they, whom on this? With Karina, my wife, oh, okay, uh, we, we, uh, we co-write the book and I draw it. So, um, that's, that's awesome. kind of like our big create, you know, that, that's something we own. It's, a, a so the Belfry is also something I own, but the, did, did um, you guys, did you guys meet, uh, through the arts or like, is that something that you've kind of, you know, that she's gotten into since you guys have, uh, you know, been together or like, how did that, how did well, that she's happen? always been a writer and okay. we, uh, and at one point, at the point where, and we had always kind of thought about doing something together, but then started uh, with the graphic novel Heaventown that I talked about before. Right. Uh, right. When uh, we just went, like, it, that was a story that she had hanging around, and we just sort of decided to adapt it. And uh, and she writes, uh, like, uh, nonfiction stuff and uh, science-based stuff. She has a, um, uh, you know, uh, she has a science degree. And uh, so, like, that also plays into this kind of the science fiction type stuff that we write right uh, right so um uh and she's also i mean she does uh i mean she's at a conference in nebraska right now for uh for oh, really? fossil, fossil preparators for like uh oh dinosaur fossil stuff she does at the natural history museum uh so uh oh, she's freaking awesome <laughs> yeah so she's, cool she's very you know science yeah. And, uh, so, um, and she's also worked, she's been a zookeeper and worked in, in work with animals and worked in wildlife rehab and all this sort of stuff. So a lot of that kind of, you know, animal biology oriented, oriented stuff works its way into the other things that we do. And, um, like the, so, uh, the Belfry and Invisible Republic are the two big things that, uh, that I would suggest that people check out. Awesome. Those are both, uh, those both sound wonderful. So before we wrap, I'm just going to, got a couple questions from listeners for you.
So, uh, so Anthony Pinder was wondering um, about the ways that, that covers are done because a lot of the time we know uh, you, you did your own covers for this, but there's also variants by uh, by uh, Danda, right? Is that how you say his last name? Yeah. Um, and those are really, actually have a T-shirt with uh, his artwork on it right now. It's really really cool. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm uh, so I'm wondering when you're working with somebody else who's like a cover artist specifically, how do you uh, how much of the story do they usually get? Like how how long are they working on it? That's that's what Anthony wants to know. I probably you know barely any you know like I, mm. I think that he he probably had a, he had access to um you know to what uh because you do the covers way in advance right so right, you have right. to do them three months in advance of uh of the book being solicited right Whoa, so really that you know uh or it's something like that well wow. no it's 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 a it's uh you have to do them way out right so okay. often you're not working with that much in this i it may have been that uh, you know, uh, he had something to look at from mine, but honestly, I can't remember. I mean, I, I, like I gotta, you know, obviously, uh, I do a lot of work, you know, it's like right. I'm working on movies and comics and balancing these two all the time. And so right, I'm not a hundred percent sure what, what the situation was with this, but, uh, it, uh, I mean, I think that, you know, like he probably had some basic thing to go on, but it's also the great thing about uh, an alien book is that you can just draw a xenomorph, you know, right, and, and people great, will buy it. You know, <laughs> it's, it's going to yeah. work. Um, another question from so this is Ronan Fox uh, is wondering what got you into the alien universe, which I think is probably seeing aliens in theaters. I yeah, I don't want to words Yeah, but that, he wants to know which uh, which of the alien films is your favorite and why. I can't. Well, I'm going to say that the Ridley Scott one is my favorite. I mean, mm. I, I think that's most endlessly. Rewatchable to me. I mean, like, I and I just love how beautifully crafted it is, and I love everybody in it. I love the, uh, I mean, the the unbelievable casting, the chemistry between the cast, the fact, the 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 naturalism, the the way that they're just, you know, these people doing this job, and they, uh, you know, are, uh, uh, you know, and 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 the the kind of, um, the the scariness that comes out of um, just as much not seeing things as seeing them. And uh, which is big for me. I'm a huge fan of like the Val Luton movies from the forties, cat mm -hmm. people. Uh, and uh, you know, I walked with a zombie ghost ship, those movies that where it was, you know, where because of their limited budget, but also because of bringing a kind of like, you know, artistic quality to otherwise genre material you're, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's raising it up to something, you know, right, right. something, something amazing, you know, and I think that's exactly what Ridley Scott and all of them were doing on the first alien. Although I do wonder, I do think in a lot of ways, the first alien is sort of a weird fluke movie where all these people came together at exactly the right time and made this movie. And it's, it's, it's not exactly just that it was Ridley Scott, but it was everybody coming together. And, and oh, totally, totally. You know? I, I mean, it, it, obviously Ridley Scott is such a gifted, you know, creative artist, but um, yeah. I, I mean, it, you know, it was the, 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 the fact that Dune fell apart and, uh, yeah. and the fact that you had like, you know, Dan O'Bannon was coming off this kind of failed comedy project, that, but, but he realized that he could write sci-fi and, you know, and he was roommates with Ron Schusset and all these different things that kind of happened at the same time randomly. And then they found Giger through O'Bannon and Ridley Scott liked his artwork. And then Giger was like all of a sudden doing production design work, which he had never done before. And, it, you know, yeah, it's just this amazing. And if, you know, if any of those people were not involved in it, it would never have been this movie. Right. Exactly, like, exactly. There's just, yeah. you know, somebody else could have, you know, shot their script 
and it never ever would have been what it was right. if any of those actors were different if any i mean there's just it's just one of those perfect movies where everybody came together at exactly the right time yeah you could almost say it's uh, a perfect organism <laughs> oh my god uh, so. <laughs> hashtag branding um i'm wondering uh have, have you seen ridley scott's storyboards for the first film oh sure yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, freaking awesome isn't it yeah 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 the ridley grant the, the mobius yeah. uh, and stuff the influence with mobius going on um sure. i'm wondering uh so david withers has a question for you and he's wondering uh what are some of your other favorite dark horse aliens comics you know if you have any to recommend to people um that's put me on the spot, but well, can, you know, I, can I ask I, you? Can I ask you about my favorite and see if you've read it? Yeah, sure. So, uh, have you read Labyrinth? It's Killian Plunkett did the art for it. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like yeah. I've read lots of these over the years. I've always been, you know, it's always been something that I've enjoyed, and always, and I think the Dark Horse has always done a, a really good job of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and some of those earliest ones that. Uh, um, you know, like the black and white ones and stuff. Like I, I you know, it, yeah. it's always been something that I've enjoyed. Uh, and now I'm totally on the spot and can't think of something. So, so. <laughs> that's that's totally fine. Uh, there's there's been quite a lot through the years, and so it's more than uh, more than understandable. Um, and then the last question from listeners from our friend Bradley John Sudbeck, and he wants to know. And this now this could potentially be treading into spoiler territory. So if it does, feel free to you know demure. But he wants to know uh, if you have a favorite page or panel in issue number one that when people pick it up, you know, and now, because it's going to be on shelves by the time this airs, what uh, what they should be looking for. Is there something you're particularly proud of? Uh, I think that the my favorite page of it is page one. It's page one where the kid <laughs> is the kid because it's kind of summing up. It's a little bit of a thesis statement for the whole thing, you know. It's yeah. the kid on his own, you know, what the hell is happening out there. You know, and uh, and like in in the bedroom, uh, about to be exposed to like the horrors that are out there waiting for him. You know, so uh, like I, it's uh, page one, which you could see in any preview uh, floating around online, is uh, is 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 my favorite page. And as somebody who's currently looking at it, I can attest to the fact that it is a freaking awesome opening. And it, that was the moment where I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a good miniseries. I cannot wait <laughs> to see what else comes out. So uh, before we sign off, is there is there where can we find your artwork? But do you have a you know, can we follow you on social media? What, where do you want to uh, work? Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, on Twitter, I'm Gabriel Hardman on uh, on Instagram, uh, Gabriel Hardman art. Those are like the two main places. OK. Um, also, you could check, like, a month ago, uh, uh, Karina and I wrote and I drew Green Lantern Earth One that came out from DC Comics. Oh, yeah. That's wow. Also, oh, I didn't know uh, it was you. Yeah, yeah. And that's, um, that's a, you know, that's a very sci-fi, you know, influenced take on, uh, um, on Green Lantern. And it's a standalone book that you can read without knowing anything about other Green Lantern stuff. It's a sort of reboot of it. And uh, it's... Uh, and. Some sci-fi, some scary stuff, some uh, some somewhat uh, alien-influenced stuff in it as well. So um, amazing, you know. Like it, it's, uh, I think that that would probably also be worth checking out. Cool. Well, Gabriel Hardman, thank you so much for making the time for us. Um, again, everybody listening to this, I hope your Alien Day is going great. Uh, mine is going amazingly, especially having gotten the chance to talk to this guy. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
For more on this and our other projects, please visit www.perfectorganism.com. If you'd like to join the conversation, find us on our closed Facebook group, Building Better Worlds. To support the show, please consider visiting www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. We've got some great perks available. And as always, please consider rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. We can't tell you how much your support means to us, but we can hopefully show you by continuing to provide better, more ambitious, and more dynamic content for years to come.